The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. From Steve, uh, nothing better than when Kevin and Tom bicker. Uh, but we do know that they actually enjoy each other's company, using one of my phrases. Thank you, Steve. Steve listens to us on Apple Podcasts, and he gave us five stars, uh, which was very kind, uh, and a nice uh, review. You can do the same, Apple or Spotify, rate us and review us. It really helps. I don't think we were really bickering the other day. I didn't. I well, don't. I had somebody. I had somebody text me that it sounded like an old married couple, and they thought it was funny. Okay, because they enjoyed uh, it tremendously. Don't we get that a lot? Sounds like an old married couple. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's not yeah, the first we, time. We, we we get we get that a lot. I got a question for you. What? Uh, they don't have a six star capability where we could get six stars. Um. I mean, I think we should. I'm going to check on that. I just had to up your volume, by the way, uh, because you seem a little bit low. You have issues on your end um, all the time. Um, uh, A sixth star. I'm going to. I'm going to petition. I'm going to send. I'm going to get a uh, like a 50 person petition uh, signed and sent to Apple Podcasts. You think they'll pay attention? I think they will, and once they see it's coming from the Sports Fix and the Kevin Sheen Show, we, yes, we may absolutely. we may need the DC Podcast Association to uh, <laughs> maybe send it because if it comes from us, it looks too self serving. Um, but we do yes. deserve, I think, a sixth star. Not on every I, show. I think we do. I think some shows no. might be four star shows. Uh, the average is a five star show. So let's go with that. Uh, I um. Did you get my? Did, Go ahead. Go, Go ahead. ahead. Did I get your what? Did you get my text last night? Did I get your text last night? I probably did, but I may have been. Of course been a... you did, but you just ignored it. Well, no, you sent me. You're a... probably drunk. No, you you sent me a text with Bradley Beal's co- the Bradley Beal column, which I said I want to talk about well, what, what, on what the show. What did I say before that? Um, in the text. Well, you know what? You sent them both at the same time, so doing that can be a little bit confusing. Hey, buddy, I'm a, I did not see this text. So I'm reading it for the first time. Hey, buddy, I'm sitting outside at Charlestown Racetrack, uh, just watching the first race, smoking a cigar and having a beer. It's a beautiful night. I filmed a TV show up here this afternoon, so I'm hanging around for the races. If you get a chance, could you please retweet my column for me? Thanks. What TV (laughs) show were you recording or filming? It's something something to do with... uh, 
with uh, Charlestown. I don't really know, uh, to be honest with you. I think it has something to do with Penn National, and uh, they're doing some kind of uh, video uh, featuring guests on it, and they asked me to be a guest. Uh, and, uh, so, I mean, Charlestown's very close to me. Yeah. And it was a chance to get to the track, and it was a beautiful night. Uh, I mean, I played three races and lost all three, <laughs> but I had a great time. How <laughs> many people were at the races? Well, it's a Wednesday night, not many. I know. But are there many, many. are there many anymore, even on a Saturday night? Well, I've been to Charlestown many a time on a Saturday night. It's pretty crowded for okay. the race. All right, good. I'm you, surprised at how popular and crowded it is. You've been in the sports book there, right? Yes. And we did the, we did the show from the sports book. I mean, I was at the sports book when it opened. Yeah. The day it opened, because I, I wrote a column about it. Uh, but it's a lot different now. It's really an impressive. Did you uh, did you did right you now. meet my friend Eric Eric Zimney who is the uh, the the sports book director there? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Very nice guy. He's a great Absolutely. guy. Did you tell him, did you tell him that you and I are longtime um, friends and 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 co-hosts of shows or not? Didn't even occur to you that I would you know, know him. I, look, unlike you, my first move <laughs> is not to. <laughs> drop your name. I always okay? drop your name. It's the only way I can get I anywhere. Well, you should. Yeah. You should. Um, you know, I <laughs> should. I didn't think to drop your name in that situation. I should have dropped your name uh, late yesterday afternoon between the hours of 4.30 and 6.30 p.m. Eastern. I'm going to tell you that story in a moment. Um, and this this is a story that maybe some won't care about, but it will hit home for others. But before we do that, uh, I do want to mention a really great opportunity, and this auction is going to end tomorrow. So uh, golf fans in particular and golfers, we have a tournament back in town here. The Wells Fargo is going to be played at Avenel May 2nd to May 8th, and there's a really cool opportunity available to play in the Pro-Am on Wednesday, May 4th with two PGA Tour pros. Uh, just go to memberforaday.com to bid on this Pro-Am foursome. Your group will play with one PGA Tour pro on the front nine, another PGA Tour pro on the back nine. Uh, the package also includes a Tuesday night pairings party, VIP swag, tickets all weekend long for the Wells Fargo. Um, the best part of it, though, it's an auction that benefits a really uh, meaningful nonprofit, the Salute Military Golf Association, the SMGA, which our good friend CJ is on the board of um, and has been very instrumental in growing this nonprofit. Uh, it provides rehab golf programs, experiences, and family golf opportunities for post-9-11 wounded war veterans uh, in an effort to improve the quality of life uh, for these American heroes. So uh, go to um, memberforaday.com. The auction is live uh, until tomorrow. 
um, to see if you uh, can be a, a part of a pro-am. I've actually never played in a pro-am, and I'm not going to be here for those days because my son's graduating from Penn State. Um, and I'm going to wow. be up there well, for a few days. Yeah, that's buddy. yeah. I'm uh, I'm looking forward to not having any more college tuition, unless yeah. if he, unless of course he decides to go back to school uh, for something, which I've told him. You get your employer to pay for that. Let's get yes. you employed, Absolutely. and then you can have your employer yes. pay for that. Um, but of well, course, you should be proud of yourself getting three kids through college. That's very impressive. Um, well, yeah, for the most part. Uh, now you have, and they your... probably all, and they probably <laughs> all did a better job than you at Maryland. I was not an academic powerhouse at the University of Maryland. <laughs> um, I, and you know, it's not that I was a bad student. I've, I was never a bad student. I was a good student in high school. Good student, you know, growing up. But, Tommy, I'm telling you, um, a lot of other things developed during college, which became diversions <laughs> for me. Um, but you have your Cigars and Curveball uh, curveballs uh, event coming up on May 9th. I'm going to be there for it, and that uh, benefits a great cause as well. Yes, and, and uh, you can buy tickets for it. You go to dcgraves.com. And you can click on, on the website. There's a place to buy tickets for it. It's, it's, it's tax deductible because it's a 501c3. Uh, it's, you know, you get three cigars. For $100, you get three cigars. You, uh, we have free appetizers, and we have this great auction of sports memorabilia. And you'll appreciate this. One of the items for auction will be an autographed jersey from our good friend Joe Jacoby. Oh, Awesome. Jake's always willing to yes. help out, isn't he? I mean, honestly. Well, well let me. I, I, the reason I mention that is because Jake is in town. Uh, he's going to be honored tonight by the DC Touchdown Club at their dinner uh, at the at Congressional Country Club. Ah, that's he's a, receiving the Founder Award. That's awesome. Award. That's Steve Beck and yes. company. Um, God, that would be yes. uh, that would be a, a, a great uh, event to go to. Um, Jake deserves uh, any. You know what he deserves. Given his career, which of course was Hall of Fame worthy, he deserves to be one of the highest paid players in the history of this town. But that's going to go to Bradley Beal uh, when he signs this next deal. We'll get to that. Um, uh, May 9th, by the way, surprise guests, too. I'm, I'm talking about real guests, big name guests, will yes. be at Tommy's event. They always uh, are. So can I just tell you this real quick story where maybe you could have helped out if yeah. I dropped your name? I, I didn't think about dropping your name on this. Do you or does Liz handle insur health insurance stuff? You know, claims, submission of claims, doctor's bills, all of that stuff. Usually it's one of the two spouses in the family that has that responsibility. Is that a you or a Liz responsibility? Well, here's the thing. Uh, I'd say it's probably more her than me, but you got to remember that Liz worked for years for the Velvet Coffin. <laughs> Otherwise known as the federal government. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, so, so she. I haven't heard I it mean, our, that way. Our, we have very good federal. Still, even though she's retired, very good federal uh, employee health insurance, uh, and it's very simple. And not, we don't get many bills for anything or claims for anything. Oh, we just wow. sit back and let them take care of it. And, 
we're very fortunate that way. Well, that's good. I, and, you know, I would say yeah. that the plan that I currently have um, is a really good plan. Uh, and most of the time there isn't a claim that I need to file. Most of the time it's all handled. You know, I might pay some sort of, um, you know, uh, fee at the doctor's office, but then they handle everything else. But, um, the last plan that I had, um, I'm still dealing with. And let me just tell you this story. There is a particular, um, claim, a dental claim for my wife, actually, um, the, the date of service, which is always very important when you're following up on claims to see if you were reimbursed the appropriate amount for the claim that you submitted. The date of service was September 4th, 2020. So September 4th, 2020 is a year and a half ago by my math, roughly. Um, and I have submitted those dental that dental claim Not once, not twice, but thrice I have submitted that claim. Well, I I kind of stopped paying attention to it because it's under my old plan. And I, you know, was just hoping that maybe somehow a check came and I didn't see it and she deposited it. But yesterday I was getting organized and I I was trying to get some new claims for one of the kids into into the uh, new health insurance provider. And I was looking through what I have. I have a file of claims um, that are still outstanding that have been submitted but I haven't, you know, received payment for. Because when I receive payment for them, I just tear everything up and throw it away. You know, I don't keep it or, or, or I'll just, I'll try to get rid of the emails. I don't want to be confused because there's a lot of, I'm I'm getting to the, I'm getting to to the uh, end here. I I promise you, but there's just a lot of, of, of work done to get paid a little bit of, of money and it's not worth it. But let me, let me continue here. So I called the insurance company. It's my last insurance company. And I got somebody on the phone after being on hold for about 15 minutes. Let me just tell you, by the way, at the end of the day, I'm probably trying to retrieve $80. It's really not, it's really not worth it. But at this point, I'm hoping for whatever reason that, you know, they can prove to me that they sent me a check and it was deposited or, you know, for the third time they didn't, they claim that they didn't receive the claim. It was submitted every which way to, to Sunday. It was submitted by mail. It was submitted by email and it was submitted online. Okay. I, I tried everything that they told me to do. So I get this woman on the phone. She couldn't have been nicer. And she said, sir, I do not have, um, I do not have record of this claim being submitted. And then it became an issue for me. I said, are you serious? I said, do you know how many times this claim has been submitted in every which way that you guys have recommended to get it taken care of? I don't know what to tell you. And by the way, we are now beyond the year because you only have a year to submit the claim. And I said, well, that's really irrelevant in this conversation because the claims were submitted within a year. But for whatever reason, you don't have the claims. The last note that I wrote to myself was to email to uh, somebody. It was a, I forget the name of the person at the, it was SAG-AFTRA, by the way, which was the, you know, when we were union members, we had SAG-AFTRA health benefits. And I have to tell you, for the most part, the experiences were usually pretty good. 
So she said, well, yeah, but it's still beyond a year and we don't have proof that you tried to send it in. And then she decided she was going to try to help me. So she said, can I put you on hold? And she did so for roughly 10 minutes. I was on hold. And then she came back and she said, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you right now to email this claim to Carol such and such at this address. Scan it. Send the claim. Carol will take care of it. I said, awesome. She said, Carol will send you, and then, and then came the, the, the punchline. Carol will send you back a note once you email her this claim to tell you that the claim was denied because it's been longer than a year, and then you can file a grievance. <laughs> and I just said, you're, you're kidding. Like, you're going to make me, hold on. I thought that you had just provided me with Carol, who was going to take this email, uh, which, by the way, I sent last February, okay, for um, the second for the, for the second time, and I am going to just send send that to her. And I thought Carol was just going to magically take care of it, and you guys were going to send me a check. But no, what you're saying is she's then going to send me an email back denying the claim and then giving me instructions to file a grievance. Like, that's going to go well. And I just said, you have got to be kidding me. And she said, well, sir, that's the only possible way. And I just said, look, you've been helpful, and I appreciate it. And I wasn't angry with this woman at all because she really was trying to help. But this is what I am convinced of when it comes to the health insurance companies. It's a waiting game. They're trying to wear you out. They, they make you jump through so many hoops to get a claim submitted. Then, you know, many times the submission process, in this case, that, that was the process. Many times it's not the submission of it. It is, oh, guess what? Your doctor didn't include, you know, the diagnostic code. Or you didn't fill out the claim form uh, properly. And it just keeps going on and on and on. And I am 100% convinced, Tommy, that a lot of health insurance claims don't ever get paid out because they just wear the customer out in the process. I mean, we I am I am 100% with you on this. I think I this think is that, part that, of that, their that, pro- their strategy because because I think look, you're a pretty smart guy, okay? Uh, and I, I mean a, par, a portion a portion of the population may be a little bit more limited than you. Okay. Imagine, uh, like, somebody who really isn't equipped to deal with this. You know, have to figure out how to do this. So, yeah, I think they do make it intentionally difficult for you to get what you're due in the hopes that you'll just surrender. Uh, and I, I bet it's part of the whole profit margin calculus. Look, we've been de- we've been debating, you know, healthcare um, and the logistics and the paperwork and all this stuff for years in this country. It's not easy. It's not Canada where you just go in and you're seen and that's it and you're taken care of. Um, and I don't even know if that if that's how it really works there. It's just I I said to her I said. This is just the game, isn't it? I'm like, you probably deal with at least a half dozen of these a week, don't you? And she said, well, I know it can be frustrating sometimes. And I said, look, 
I'm not sending Carol an email just to get an email back saying I'm denied. And then I'm going to have to go through the process of filing a grievance for maybe like 80 bucks. It's just not worth it. The, today hasn't been worth it. And I said, but I do appreciate you uh, efforting uh, to try to help me. Um, and that was it. But it's, I think, I think it creates some profit margin. Uh, you know, it's just the, the, you know what it is, Tommy? It's the, it's the refund, it's the secure, refunding of security deposits. People just forget. Yes. They get worn out from trying. Yes. And this happens in a lot of different facets of life. It just, it, it, it's you part know, of, I think- yeah. I think there's people who actually make a living doing this stuff for you. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. I mean, yes. there, there are, look, there, uh, there's lots of these kinds of businesses out there. I mean, there are nonprofits, not really nonprofits, that will help you, you know, lower your debt, you know, lower your credit card right. debt. I mean, I, I think I've said this before. You know, anybody that's paying significant credit card, you know, APRs, you're, you're, you're a dummy. I mean, all you got to do is call up and ask for a lower rate and just threaten to, to pay your whole balance. Anybody that's carrying a balance where you're paying monthly on a credit card balance and you've got a significantly high interest rate, you're a fool. You just call them up and say you're going to pay the whole balance off and you're going to cancel the credit card, and they'll give you a much better rate. It's not that hard. And there, there are lots of businesses that do that for people who don't know that in many cases all you have to do is put in a little bit of work and ask. But anyway, um, right. that was a frustrating experience that literally was um, you know, longer than an hour when you added up all of my hold time. I don't know. I, I mean, I just had the phone on speaker as they were playing some of that horrible hold music, and I was watching TV, <laughs> but I just, I can't, I, it's just frustrating to, 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 uh, to have people, to ha- I, I'm convinced that this is part of their profit margin, um, you know, and, and basically, you know what they chalk it up to? Uh, you know, kind of dead accounts, accounts where, um, you know, the, uh, well, no, they don't even have it because they're not accounts that exist. Or if there are files that were opened up where people started down the process, it's like, yeah, well, we asked them for, you know, the doctor's code and the, um, uh, the, the correct address of the provider and the correct member number and group number and this and that, and they never got back to us. So now it's a dead account and, uh, you know, we chalk it up to revenue. (laughs) I don't know how it works from an accounting standpoint. Maybe you know what? So what? Maybe we can get old Jason Friedman to explain it to us. <laughs> that would be good. That would be good. Listen, yeah. what what was worse, the dental visit or paying for the dental visit? Yeah, well, it wasn't my dental visit. It was it was Kara's. Oh, so. okay. Um, okay. You know, uh, speaking of Jason Friedman, at the end of the podcast yesterday, I pointed something out that I'm very surprised that you didn't point out. And I didn't point out either, but I'm more surprised, given your disposition the other day, that you that this didn't occur to you either. Remember towards the end of the conversation when we were focused in on the letter from Jordan Sieve, um, where they just absolutely tear apart 
uh, Jason Friedman in an attempt to totally discredit him uh, and his testimony. And I read from that one part where they really got after his character. You know, the section titled, hold on, let me pull it up here because I'm going to forget what it was. It was something about how he abused his staff and he had a sexual relationship. Yeah. Friedman verbally abused his staff and had a hidden sexual relationship with his subordinate. Um, And, you know, he braided his staff. His staff stated he was dismissive, heavy-handed, yelled, cursed, you know, uh, used um, uh, terms uh, to describe minority women. Uh, the, The part that we didn't talk about, that it just kind of occurred to me that night, and I'm like, I'm going to talk about this um, on the podcast, and I did it yesterday, is that that whole section is a section that just essentially confirms what the environment was in their building for 20-something years because he was an employee there for 24 years, 21 of it under Snyder. Like, everything that started this, this bullying, intimidation, culture of of sexual harassment and toxic towards everybody, most notably women, is all spelled out in that paragraph in their letter to the FTC. That's a good point. I can't believe I didn't figure that out. I know. I must I have been sleeping. You're right. Absolutely. And, and, that is, that's, that's in detail what it was like uh, at that facility. They just laid it out for you. They laid it out for you. If th- this guy was so awful, and yet it took Jason Wright to come into the organization to finally fire him. Yeah. So the, you know, it, it reminded me of what we've talked about a lot, which was, you know, it's it's almost like there's such a lack of self-awareness, you know, with them. And there, it, it's been that way forever. It's like when back in July of 2020, they sent out a letter from, you know, a guy that we know, Louis Shrek, who was the head of, you know, corporate sales. And they sent out the letter to all of their big-time corporate sponsors attaching the Post article and saying, don't believe all of this bad stuff. This is the stuff that's actually true. And they just don't. Uh, like they could have probably eviscerated him without also admitting that they kept someone like this employed for 24 years in a letter. Yes. yes. Uh, but you know, they're, they're, they're always more vindictive than smart. There's no doubt about that. That's been the case. Um, yeah. How about the news that just broke before we started recording this podcast? Mike Tyson beat some dude up on a plane. Um, TMZ, look, this is TMZ, which is like right 100% of the time pretty much. It sure, it sure seems to be that they, they, they patrol that gutter better than anybody. So, um, so the the story is that they're you know, and they've got video of it. Somebody was taking you know video of it, and of course TMZ got copies of the video. Um, but I'll just read to you uh, basically what happens. Um, the witness who also uh, videotaped this on the plane says he and his friend were boarding a flight. It happened to have been a flight that Mike Tyson was on. Um, Tyson was cool with them and other passengers. 
The witness said that Mike took a selfie with him and then was patient with his overly excited friend who kept trying to talk to the 55-year-old fighter as he sat behind him. Eventually, though, we're told Tyson had had enough of the guy behind him talking in his ear, and he told him to chill. When the guy didn't, that's when witnesses say Tyson started to throw several punches at the man's face. The video we obtained shows Tyson's throwing a a flurry of blows at the man, which you can see bloodied the passenger's forehead. The witness says Mike walked off the plane just seconds later. We're told the man who was punched received medical attention and, and then went to the police over the incident. We've reached out, TMZ has, to the cops for comment, but so far no word back yet. Um, we've also reached out to JetBlue, so it was a JetBlue flight, apparently from San Francisco to Florida, and Tyson's camp for comment on the incident as well, but no word back on that either. You and I both made the same you know, comment about the punches and the and and the guy that took the punches. He didn't look that bad. He didn't look that bad from taking a couple of blows from Mike Tyson. That that's for sure. I know some people who are crazy enough that they would. If that if that was the outcome, they would have taken it just to say they got beat up by Mike Tyson. <laughs> you know, if, if that's if that's the outcome, look, Mike could be in big trouble here. I know. That's. I mean, he's got a criminal past, a criminal history, and this is no matter how justified you may emotionally think it is, it's assault. <laughs> There's it's a... assault with a guy with, who uh, who has a track record of this. Remember, this is Mike. I mean, I know. You know, this is the kinder, gentler, older Mike Tyson. He's kind of, we thought for the most part, aged out of the anger that he had over the years. But this is a guy who, who remember, beat up an old man at a, at a traffic stop in Montgomery County once. Spent a year in Montgomery County's jail right out there off of 270. Yeah, so, so Mike is in trouble, and, and there's a major lawsuit coming. My question is, what the hell is Mike Tyson doing flying jet blue? I know. Across the country. I know. Now, I, it, guess, I guess the Tyson bank, bankroll isn't as big as, as everyone thinks it is. Did you, when, when I asked you to watch the video, did you also listen to the video, the audio in the video? Not really. No, Be- because I, I did it with the sound down because I was talking to you at the same time. So there, there, what's not detailed um, in the uh, in the TMZ written report is that the guy that's taking the video starts saying something about the selling of shrooms, as in mushrooms. I think he's the guy that ended up getting his ass kicked. Also, starts talking about peasants. And you can see him, by the way, you know, kind of bothering Mike. Um, by the way, sources, uh, this is an update from TMZ. Sources close to Mike claim the man was extremely intoxicated and wouldn't stop provoking the boxer in his seat. You know, the video, and it's not long, does show this guy a little bit overzealous with, Mark, with, with Tyson. He's sitting behind him in the seats behind him, and he's standing up and he's talking to him. Who knows? Bottom line is, it doesn't justify an assault. And given his history, like you said, he could be in trouble. I hope he's not, though. I I don't. I mean, I don't want Mike to be able to go around beating people up just because they're annoying. But I, I kind of have hoped that the Mike, the the kinder, gentler Mike that we've seen in recent years, was you know who he had become. 
I guess he didn't have his his full supply of gummies before he got on that plane to calm him down. He needed shrooms. I don't know what the shrooms part was uh, about. I really don't. So I don't know. I mean, Mike Mike is in the marijuana business, reportedly. Oh, I, I didn't realize that that was what you were referencing. I mean, I I, yeah. I got the gummy reference. I didn't reference. So he's in he's in the weed business. Who isn't these days? I, Jesus. I, 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 I understand it. Well, you and I aren't, unfortunately. Well, no, we're not, but, but uh, it's more lucrative than what we're I, doing. I think it's, it, it reportedly it does very well in in the weed business, but apparently not that well if he's flying coach on JetBlue. <laughs> yeah. Um, at least he wasn't on your airline, Spirit. He would have had to. Do, he would have. He would have had to take a drive from San Francisco to 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 uh, to, <laughs> to Marin County and gotten on a plane, um, little north. Um, my son was just there. That's why I, know, I just remember. Look, I, I just referred to that beautiful area of the country, of course. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Uh, the, the thing is, though, I mean, the guy being drunk, I mean, I get that. Look, after what I was bit, after I went through, and I was very careful to make sure that I didn't drink too much. But people who are, who are delayed for hours on flights, what are they going to do? They're going to go to the bar at the airport. I mean, that's why this happens more and more. As more and more planes are delayed, and you're going to have more and more drunk people getting on planes. Of course. Of course. And, you know, you've got a lot of other issues going on on planes these days. <laughs> Dropping mask mandates. Whoa, CDC says otherwise. Um, just do what, what you feel like doing, people. If you want to wear a mask, have at it. And if you don't, and the rules are that you don't have to wear one, don't wear one. Um, I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. I don't care if you're fine with it or not. Uh, I do want to talk about Jay Wright, and I want to talk about your column about Bradley Beal. I know we touched on it the other day, but um, I think there's more to it as well. And we will get, yeah, we'll get to some Washington Commanders discussion. By the way, uh, Douglas pointed out to me, on Twitter, you've gotten much more comfortable saying commanders. I, it's because what else am I going to say? If I just keep saying Washington over, over and over again and everybody else is saying commanders, it's just people are going to start to get confused the other way now. I don't like it. I don't like it at all. It's a dumb name. It's a dumb name, and I don't even like the hashtag take command. That's dumb, too, which apparently, by the way, they stole that from the San Antonio Commanders as well from the AAFL or whatever spring league that we're following these days. That was a great conversation the other day. We won't circle back to that one. Um, I have a question. Yes. I have a question for you about, about Commanders and Redskins. I'm curious to what your opinion is. Like, when we talk about Joe Jacoby, Oh. And when you refer to him Redskin. in print, Redskin, it has to be, doesn't it? Of course, it's not even yeah, so. Anything, it's not a debate. Anything on this. before Commanders, you still have to use the name Redskins. If a guy played for the Redskins, that's what you've got to say. Of course, you do. That's who he played for. Okay. Now, yes. how about the, how about this one though? What about the player Chase Young as an example? Well, see, the problem is you'll be able to refer to him as a commander. I don't know. Is there a list of players that just played for the Washington football team? I'm, there are. Um, there's good, there, there are probably some players that were just here for a year or two and, and now are gone. Yeah. Yeah, uh, there probably are. So, 
Yeah. Well, so, okay, I just was wondering what your thoughts, I kind of figured what your thoughts would be. You know, one of the, but, er, I mean, do you remember what one of the early know, I, concerns I, were? For, for people like me especially, no. that they were going to scrub every single Redskins reference, including, you know, NFL Films was going to go in and somehow try to scrub out Chirons or st- or end zones that were painted with it. And people were actually concerned about that. And I remember saying, that's ridiculous. They'll, first of all, it would be way too much work. And they're not going to do that. That's part of the history. That's what it is. That's what their name was. And and and, that, and none of that has happened. None of that yeah. has happened. And and let's just say Jacoby gets in through the you know the next um, what is that the senior committee, whatever you call well, that. whatever it's called. Yeah, he's you know he's going to go in as a Washington Redskin. He never he was he was never a commander. Look, all of those players. Yeah. I I've, I've hardly talked to all of them, but anybody that's been outspoken since the name changed. I mean, I think one of them were shocking, not shocking, but Rigo, who, you know, doesn't care about a lot of stuff in the past. You know, Rigo was the one on his YouTube show with Todd, with Todd Castleberry said that like, and I forget what the quote was, I'm paraphrasing here, but he felt like something inside him had died. That he didn't expect to feel the way he felt when Commanders was announced, but he was really, really taken aback. Cooley said the same thing to me. Cooley said, I'm not going to feel any different when the Commanders thing comes out or when the new name comes out. I'm going to feel the way I felt since the name was lost. I was a Redskin and whatever happens next. But he called and he was on the podcast talking about how he was completely stunned at how how you know he felt when there was an actual new name there and that's why like during that process i said this is an interim phase cuz there isn't a new name and when the new name comes out it's going to really feel different it's going to feel more permanent and I, I think most of the former players, I think Daryl Green has weighed in on this as well. I'm pretty sure Daryl Green said, I, I played for the Redskins. You know? Um, Look, I think, I think the, most of the players who aren't getting paid by the team still, most of the former players, uh, because they still they, they, they did employ uh, some of the former players to help promote the new name. Obviously, those players are not going to come out and say they're they're for the Redskins. Well, you know, that they well, feel well, well, like, like something's you, missing. You like Joe, who was up there on the stage that day in that uncomfortable unveiling. Uh, Joe, I guarantee you, Joe will tell still say he'll say I support the new name, but I played for the Redskins. I don't think he'll ever say I played for the Commanders. No, no, absolutely. Okay. Um, there was one other thing, real quickly. I've got a question for you. My question for you is, did you see what Wimbledon is doing? Have you, have you read this story yet? Yes, I have. They're banning the Russian players. Wimbledon is banning Russian and Belarusian players over the invasion of Ukraine. Um, they've, they've barred all Russian and players from Belarus from this year's championship due to the invasion. That means world number two, Daniil Medvedev, uh, is out of of Wimbledon. Do you agree with that or not? Look, at, uh, President Biden just announced that they're sending $800 million in new military aid 
to Ukraine. We're in a war. We not, may not be fighting it directly with troops and stuff, but we're in a war. And in that case, you're on one side or the other side. I certainly understand what Wimbledon did, and I think it's the shape of things to come. I don't think this is going you know, to lighten up anytime soon. And I think there's a real question facing the NHL that, immediately. Okay, that's what I was going to ask you. Yes, as to whether or not they're going to continue to allow Russian players to play in the league. Now, that would be a very complicated, onerous uh, action to ban Russian players from the NHL that would certainly hurt more teams, AAA, the, a.k.a. the Washington Capitals, than others. But this is a war, you know, for all intents and purposes. I just read where, you know, American representatives from at, at the G, G20 conference got up and walked out when the Russians showed up on the, uh, uh, on the Zoom uh, uh, conference. Ooh. I mean, there, there's a... There's sides being taken right now, and you're on one side or the other. You know, there's no, there's none of this Ovechkin. Oh, I don't like war. You know, I just want peace kind of thing. While you still have Putin's picture on your Instagram account, does he still you have? He, did, uh, he, he hasn't yes, taken down that. Still, okay. Do you, do, has not taken it down yet. Do you consider? I tell you what. Yeah. I don't see. I don't see how Cavs fans can ignore that. I don't get that. You really need to look inside your soul uh, if you're watching the news and paying attention to what's going on. And your, your, your hero hockey player has a guy up there who the president has called a butcher and a war criminal. Um, first of all, uh, I think you have to consider um, Alex Ovechkin's family, friends, uh, people that he has back in Russia that could be in danger if he just started to go anti-Putin and start scrubbing Putin from uh, his social media. So I think that should be taken into consideration as it relates to Alex Ovechkin. As far as Wimbledon goes, and I'll, I'll circle back to the NHL, um, I, I don't really... I, I don't really get it. I'm not sure. Now, apparently, Daniil Medvedev, the number two player in the world, is a Putin supporter or has been in the past. I just don't understand where the benefit is. Where's By, by barring him from playing in Wimbledon, it does, is somehow now Putin going to pull his troops out of Ukraine and say, I'm sorry? Um, if we, if Alex Ovechkin and every Russian player uh, is is told to go home, uh, that they're not allowed to play. I mean, is that is that going to impact Putin at all? Uh, maybe it will. I don't know. Maybe somebody would say, oh, my God, he's such a big Ovechkin fan and such a big NHL fan and such a big Medvedev and tennis fan, and that actually impacted him more than anything else, that these guys are getting barred from playing. Uh, but I don't see it leading to anything substantial. To me, it just doesn't, it doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, you know, the, the, I mean, just like putting Japanese in, in you know in, in in internment camps in World War II. Not quite the same. I understand. Not quite the same. I, I understand it's not quite the same. But the point is, we're, what we, and and actually, there was probably more justification given what we didn't know at the time back then. But I, I don't, I don't see the, I, I don't see that this really impacts much. Okay, uh, I think it does. I think I think symbolism is important in this. I think symbolism is how you reach your your population, as to let them know what what is going on here, mm -hmm. other than what they're seeing 
on the six o'clock news. We've, parti- Look, we've participated uh, in events I, I, with, a, with, a, with a rock, with a run over the years in soccer events and in other sporting events, and that, those, th- those things have never been an issue. Um, go ahead, well, finish your I, thought. I, I, this, is clearly, this is clearly on a different level uh, than, than that. Uh, look, I've been These working on something on this. I, I've, I've spoke to uh, some experts on on Russian relations and history, and uh, the idea that Ovechkin and his family would be in danger is way overblown. Okay, way way overblown. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I talked to uh, a professor of Russian history and international sport, a guy named Gene Levesque. At, uh, who's a Russian expert at the University of Quebec, of, uh, Quebec in Montreal. He said, uh, he said, I don't think he and his family are risking anything. He's one of the few athletes who are closest to the regime. He comes from an, a family of elite athletes who are integrated into the political sporting structure. So, and I've read quotes and other stories from other uh, experts who say the idea that they would be in danger is overblown. Um, and to be, even if you think he is, there are Russians who have put themselves at risk criticizing Putin for this. Far more risk than Alex Ovechkin would be. And I'm not saying he needs to come out and criticize him. What are you, what, what are you saying? What are you saying? I'm, say, I'm, saying that he, I'm saying that he needs to get that photo of him and Putin off his Instagram oh logo. Oh, my God. Uh, so, social media Get it off. Okay. Um, and that and that'll do it for you if he just scrubs Putin off of his Instagram photo, social media. That would help. Okay. I don't expect him to come out and criticize the war, although he should. Uh, I don't expect him to do that. But right now, and, and you know what? Here's the other thing. For too long, and this is on me and a lot of other people, including Caps fans, we just ignored his relationship with Putin over the years. Uh, while this guy was doing all kinds of stuff, poisoning, uh, you know, rivals, uh, putting reporters in jail, uh, the previous inva- invasion of, of Crimea in, in t- Crimea in 2014, uh, and, and like Putin creating this Team Putin social media thing to support. We just ignored all that, and we shouldn't have. We should have called him into question on that. Are there any? Because, uh, uh, you know, either, either you're on the side of the President of the United States, who's called this guy a war criminal and a butcher, or you're on the side of Alex Ovechkin, who says he's my president. Um, well, you're definitely not on the side of Alex Ovechkin um, and his pro Putin stance. I don't know anybody that would be on that side. You may be pro Alex Ovechkin, but you may disagree completely with his politics. And in your case, you think we're you know in a war right now, so pick sides. I think we're past the idea of compartmentalizing your feelings about Alex Ovechkin. Are you writing a column on this? It sounds like you are. You've been there. May be it may be at some point. Who knows? Well, this is you why know? you've been talking to Russian scholars and historians. It sounds like I talked to lots of people, Kevin. Mm-hmm. Usually, I it's... converse with, with with the masses. Um, there have been Syrian uh, NBA players before, um, so uh, we didn't seem to have much of a problem with perhaps them and being from a country where you know Assad was gassing his own people. 
But you know, this is this this is closer to home with Ovechkin. It would be wild, right, if all of a sudden the NHL looked at Wimbledon's strategy or or, or uh, a stance and said maybe we should take the same stance. It certainly would impact the playoff odds. That's for sure. Yes. By the way, he yes, has. Yes, it would. Congra- I, congratulations to Alex Ovechkin. Goals 49 and 50 no, last Jesus night. <laughs> Phenomenal performance yeah, against Vegas, where he, where he held the Stanley Cup up just a few years ago. Uh, Ovi made history, um, uh, becoming the oldest player to ever score 50 goals. He is a tremendous, I, tremendous hockey player. All right. Well, I think pressure <laughs> will grow on the NHL. Because I mean, do you think do you think this war has any indication that it's gonna that it's gonna it's gonna ratchet down? I don't think so. No, these things always end up being much longer than you think they're gonna. Just yes. like just like the initial push from the Russians didn't go exactly their way like they thought it would. They never do right. typically. With that said, no. With that said, more importantly, Ovechkin now is just twenty one shy of Gordy Howe's eight oh one for second most all time. And you know Stop it. And if you pull him and you you ban him from the NHL, I think Gordy Howe and Gretzky may be okay with that because he's chasing both of them down. <laughs> do you think in all seriousness, do you think that that uh, Ovechkin, as long as he continues to play, you think he's going to catch Gretzky, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, because he, he, he probably would. Because 50 goal seasons basically puts him, you know, l- l- roughly two years away at 38 years old. Now, I don't know if he's going to have more 50, uh, f- 50 goal seasons, but he's three or four years away. He's going to do it. I think most people that are really involved in, in, in the Caps uh, media uh, group, because I've talked to some of those, I, I've reached out to some of those uh, people in recent weeks. Um, they all believe that they are part and parcel to Ovechkin becoming the all-time goal scorer. And you know what? There's, well, again, there's probably a book if, or two in he, that. If he continues to play. Right. If he continues to play in this country. Here's another stat. Ukrainian officials say about 15,000 people have been killed uh, by the war, by the invasion of Ovechkin's president. Wait, say that again. This is another stat. Ukrainian officials say about 15,000 Ukrainians have been killed in the invasion by Ovechkin's president. Okay, I I thought you were actually being serious that somebody put out the stat and called him Ovechkin's president. Um, Ovechkin said he's my president. I know that. But you're, uh, when, when you were reading that, I thought that was something that somebody had written that, that referred yeah. to him, um, to Putin. Now, you can refer Ovechkin's that to me. President. You can credit me with that. Well, I can't, I, okay? can't, I can't wait for the column. Look, you know, DeShazer, you got DeShazer Everett, you know, cut. Uh, <laughs> let's, see, let's see if we can change the Caps odds of winning a, a, a Stanley Cup playoff series with one of your next columns. Uh, I do want to talk. Oh, I want to talk about Jay Wright. I want to talk about your column. I want to talk some commitment. Commanders football. We'll get to all of that when we come back right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jay Wright uh, retired yesterday as Villanova's coach. 60 years old, uh, Villanova has had an unbelievable run under Jay Wright. 21 years at Villanova. 520 wins, 197 losses, um, multiple Big East titles, two national championships, four Final Fours. Um, it's been an incredible run for Jay Wright. This was shocking news when it came across last night. And I have several friends, several friends, including long, longtime friends who I went to high school with that went to Villanova. That there's just a lot of Villanova people, you know, in you know, in all of the big cities of the Northeast. And this floored all of them as well. Now, I will tell you, there's some audio that Brendan, my producer, played for me this morning on the show. You know, uh, Dick, who. Weiss, the longtime college basketball writer, right? Absolutely. So um, on his last presser following the loss to Kansas in the Final Four, he said, um, Hoops Weiss uh, asks him a question, and Jay, Jay Wright, under his breath, said, you know, something like getting to answer a question from Hoops Weiss one more time. You know, so but but it was very much kind of under his breath, but you could hear it on the mic. Well, nobody thought anything of it. Well, clearly he kind of knew that this is where um, it was going. Anyway, I was yeah. very surprised by it. He's a young man, like relatively speaking, and he looks much younger than he actually is. He's really an outstanding coach, and he's built – you know, I get in these arguments with my Villanova friends all the time about whether or not Villanova's become a blue blood. They're convinced of it. And then during the run-up to the Final Four, there was a lot of discussion about whether Villanova's entered the, the, the conversation of being a blue blood college basketball um, you know, uh, a program. They, they've won more than anybody else in the last 10 years uh, in the sport. Um, they won two national national championships. They've been to three final fours in the last, you know, six tournaments. And remember we had one of them canceled. Um, 
And I don't know, for me, it's still Kansas, Kentucky, Carolina, Duke. And in terms of the Mount Rushmore currently of programs, kind of a combination of current and and historically, I don't think UCLA's in that conversation or Indiana's in that conversation anymore. Villanova, if they're not, you know, a blue blood, they're the first team in the next category, the next tier. Clearly, they are. Um, and he's been a great coach who's been a phenomenal recruiter, a great ambassador for the game, an incredible ambassador for the Big East as they've gone through this transformation over the last several years. Uh, I'm really surprised, but I think, Tommy, more than anything else, what it speaks to is what a lot of coaches now you know, are saying, either privately or publicly, and that is NIL – and Portal is just too much to deal with, and they hate it. Uh, and, you know, if NIL didn't exist and the transfer portal didn't exist, I wonder if Jay Wright would still be coaching. I think the answer is probably yes. I think you're right on all counts, particularly about what a great coach Jay Wright is. And uh, if you remember... Uh, before the Wizards hired Wes Unsell Jr., I wrote a column saying that they should try to figure out a way to get Jay Wright to come coach the Wizards because him and Tommy Shepard are pretty close friends. They right. go back to their days when they worked on the staff at UNLV together in the early 90s. But, uh, I mean, I think you're right. I think that coaches like control, and even good coaches, bad coaches, good coaches, great coaches, they all like control. And these are two aspects that they can't control of the game now, big aspects. And uh, when you think about it, I mean, I think both aspects, that players should be allowed to do both. I think players should be allowed to be able to transfer. Uh, I think players should be allowed to profit off, off, their, off their, uh, you know, their name uh, in, in college uh, sports. But uh, uh, it's definitely changing the way coaches are going to do business. You're not going to have the iconic coaches that you've had in the past. Coaches are not going to be larger than life figures anymore. Um, I'm, the NIL, the name, and, and name image, and likeness thing, um, I, I think, look, I, I've never been a pro-pay-the-players salaries. I just don't think most people that understand or are in favor of that actually understand the economics of college athletics. You know, 90% of these programs barely either lose money or break even. Um, and, and there's just no logistical real way to pay college players. But uh, I'm not against and haven't been against them making money off their name image and likeness. What's really surprising to me is just how much money is out there. And the problem with this still being sort of the early stages, almost wild, wild west of NIL is that states have different laws and schools now are either at a competitive advantage in a massive way because either they've been really good at creating these opportunities for their players or the state laws make it easier for them to do this or they haven't done it very well and big time programs aren't doing it very well and they're seeing really 
really good players that that these college coaches recruited are saying, I'll stay, but for a million bucks. you got to figure out a way to get me a million bucks. Like, we're not talking in college football and college basketball about these players asking for, like, 25000 bucks or some sort of stipend. They're now out there using the transfer portal as a way to, to not have to sit out a year to now basically bid out their services to the schools that can pay them the most money through the businesses that they've got, you know, relationships with uh, as far as NIL go. Um, if you're not you're, if you're not doing NIL well right now, you are at a massive disadvantage because the transfer portal is allowing players. There are 1,400 basketball players right now since the season ended in the transfer portal. And most of them won't get paid a lot of money, but a lot of them are just looking for the deal in which they can make the most money. I'm not in favor of being able to transfer whenever you want unless your head coach leaves. The person that you rec- that recruited you to that school leaves. Then I think you should be able to enter the portal and not have to sit out a year. Otherwise, I think you should take that commitment more seriously when you go into a school. And if you don't like it, it's fine, but you've got to sit out a year. I think there should be a, a deterrent to, to, for, for kids um, uh, transferring uh, you know, year after year, year after year, essentially becoming free agents once the season ends. And right now they've got to figure out NIL so it's not so imbalanced because SEC schools and Big 12 schools are killing it and Big 10 ACC schools, some Big East schools are not. And so we're going to see the balance of power shift in in sports like college basketball to the schools that are doing it well, uh, like the SEC and the Big 12 schools in particular and some of the more traditional schools may start to fall from from the from where they were the, the perch that they were on um I'm not just I'm not against Nil I'm against it being so imbalanced there's got to be some sort of reining it in and making it competitive competitively fair even though obviously that works against sort of a you know a a capitalist market uh, market economy of you, you go where you can make the most money but it's just it, it's for coaches to have to basically rework your roster every single year because you've got players leaving to go get more money elsewhere. And let me just say this because somebody uh, – I said this this morning and somebody tweeted that that wasn't entirely true, and it's it, that's fair. Not, every, not everybody's leaving a program because they're not getting paid enough at the program they're in currently. Some just really do, you know, don't love the school or don't love the coach or don't love the program because not everybody's getting big time money, obviously. Um, But it's changing the sport dramatically, college football and college basketball. And for coaches, it becomes a whole other thing that is just really hard to manage. You know, it's you bring recruits in, you start planning about what your roster is going to be like this year, next year. No, there's no more of that. Every year is a new year now. Every year you're reconfiguring your roster because several of your players, good players that like you and like the school, are entering the transfer portal because maybe you don't have enough to offer them. That's what's going on right now. It's a lot of what's going on. So, you know, for longtime coaches that have had a certain way of doing things, 
and have enough money and have enough success um, like Jay Wright. Um, wouldn't surprise me if a year from now he comes back and coaches in the NBA where it would be easier than in college hoops right now. Now, one benefit, Tommy, real quickly, and then I'll let you answer, um, is that college athletes that were leaving early because they wanted to get paid are not now able to stay in college and make more money than they would have made in the G League or made as a second-round pick, you know, without guarantees. So some of the players that, I mean, the player of the year in college basketball, I don't know if you saw this story or not, Shebway from Kentucky was the player of the year, the Wooden Award winner. He is coming back to school. First player, first Wooden Award winner to do that since Tyler Hansbro in 2008. Not to go to the pros. You know why? He's going to make close to $2 million next year in NIL money. So it's wow. just, it's just a, a completely wow. different ball game now. So I bet this had a lot to do with Jay Wright leaving. I think you're probably right. Do you really think, I'm, from everything I've read, I mean, Jay Wright has been in demand by NBA. He's, whenever NBA teams have looked for a coach from the college ranks, Jay Wright has always been number one on the list, and he's turned them down all the time. And from all the reports I've read, he's not interested in coaching, period, anymore. You think that could change? I mean, I had this guy, John Fanta, who covers the Big East in Villanova. He's really good, um, and I had him on radio this morning. He says he agrees with you and, and others that he's not going to coach in the NBA. Um, I just think that a guy like him – who is young enough and has another, you know, run in him as a competitor may want a year from now to take on a new challenge. Things change. I mean, they, they these people feel that way now, and maybe even he feels that way now. I, I think actually coaching in the NBA now might be easier than coaching in college because of all this, you know, this cra- the, the, the craziness going on and the, the inability to sort of keep your players uh, together. But um, I don't know. I don't know, Phil Coach. You're right, though. I mean, he's certainly been one of those people that, like, he looks – he's got the look of being an NBA coach, of being a guy that would be able to totally relate uh, to NBA players. I mean – you know, you don't have to man, you don't have to recruit anybody. I mean, I know there's free agency, but recruiting's always been a pain in the ass for these coaches anyway. Now it's, you know, completely nuts. I wanted to mention one other quick thing though about Jay Wright. I know I've mentioned this before um, when it comes to Villanova. And usually in the past it's always been in the context of the Maryland job and Turgeon, Mark Turgeon in particular. But there was a time, uh, you go back ten years, all right, ten years ago. Jay Wright's Villanova team went 13 and 19. They were 5 and 13 in the Big East. They tied for 13th in the Big East and they did not make the NCAA tournament. And that followed back-to-back years of not getting out of the first weekend. And what followed was three more years of making the tournament but not getting out of the first weekend of the tournament. So there was a 6-year period where Villanova, in the minds of their diehard fans, they were underachieving. And it was time for Jay to go. Because there was a whole hell of a lot of Villanova people saying, yep, 
No, we got to that one final four and we got blown out by Carolina. I think it was Carolina. Um, and that's it. You know, he's just, you know, they're not very good. Uh, they're not very good defensively. He's just an okay coach. We can do better. It's a good thing they didn't bail on him at Nova. It's a good thing that the, yes. uh, the, the, the those priests that run the school decided to hang in there with him um, because what followed was a championship a championship, another Final Four over the next six tournaments that they were in. I mean, you know, this is true. I I believe it to be true because many people who have much better connections and sources than I said that Jay Wright was very interested in the Maryland job when Gary uh, retired. You know, Gary's retirement was a stunning retirement in the moment. Um but there was a lot of discussion about, you know, the different coaches. Mike Bray, I think, absolutely would have taken the job back then. Um, Sean Miller was offered the job and was on the verge of taking it, but, you know, wanted uh, academic exceptions, which which Kevin Anderson told him wasn't done at Maryland. So Miller backed out. But uh, many people discussed back then that Jay Wright, because he was, you know, a little bit on the hot seat at the time at Villanova. Um, that uh, Jay Wright was interested in the Maryland job. So um, Villanova people wouldn't have been disappointed at that point in time. Most of them wouldn't have been. Hall of Fame coach. um, This guy, John, this morning said he's on the Mount Rushmore of Big East coaches, of all-time Big East coaches. And I gave the, the, the other three on the Mount Rushmore, which he agreed with. Can you name them right now? You should be able to. Don Thompson, Lou Carnesecca, and Raleigh Massimino. No. No, you got one of them right. You got Thompson correct. John is the, you know, is the face uh, on the Big East Mount Rushmore. We're talking about coaches, so we're not talking about, you know, Dave Gavitt. Okay. Okay. Uh, you missed one easy Jim one. Beheim. Yeah, Beheim's obvious. Beheim. Obvious. And then the other one, just because, and I, by the way, Carnesecca and Roly are all are good guesses, and I brought I brought them up. But the other guys got three NCAA titles. Okay. Jim Calhoun. I won't let you. Jim Calhoun is on is the fourth on on the Mount Rushmore. Okay. Even if he didn't, right. even if he didn't do it always on the up and up, um, but Calhoun was a great coach, and um, again, three NCAA titles, so he's got to be on there. Yes. Uh, all right. Tell everybody about your Bradley Beal column uh, that they can go read, and that I am retweeting as we speak. <laughs> Thank you, boss. Yeah. That's really kind of you. Well, I'm, I just reminded myself of it. It was on my list of things to do. Okay, tell everybody I'm about sure what you wrote. Well, I wrote uh, something that we discussed a little bit in previous uh, podcasts, that Bradley Beal isn't going anywhere, uh, that Tommy Shepard last week had spoken very confidently that Bradley Beal was going to stay, and he probably because he knew they've got a verbal deal in place uh, to, for him, you know, that the team will offer him that uh, long-term Supermax ex, uh, extension contract uh, when it, they could do that. I think starting July 1st, I think they can do that. Uh, that. That was part of the deal for him having the surgery, the wrist surgery now to get it over with as opposed to him playing 
the rest of the season and testing the free agent orders. Now, Tommy really likes Bradley Beal. It didn't take much to convince him right. to, to keep him. Uh, so that deal is done uh, moving forward, which would make him, if the contract is seen through to its you know totality, the highest paid player, the most amount of money paid to any player in the history of Washington sports. It's amazing. $392 million. It's more than that, I this thought. This franchise would have paid him. I thought it's more than now, that. Well, the, I don't think so. The new deal is close to two fifty, right? And he right, and he's made one fifty so far. I thought he had made one seventy something so far. I don't think so. Okay. So, I, th- I thought it was. I thought anyway. it was well. I thought it was over four hundred million. What? Whatever. The most money that any Washington athlete has ever earned. Well, he's in the right sport right. for it. That sport or baseball. Um, he's at the right. The, the timing is perfect for it. But he's not. Like, Bradley Beal, all due respect, because I like him as a player. I mean, I I always feel badly about this because it's like he loves Washington. He wants to stay here. Like, we should embrace that. But Bradley Beal is, like, on the list of all-time great Washington, you know, uh, professional sports team players, is not in the top 20. Like, I don't think he's in the top 20. I bet right now we could rip off... You know, baseball, uh, other ba- – I mean, just in his own franchise. Like, is he on the Mount Rushmore of his own franchise? No. No. It's not even – No. I mean, well, don't say no – I'm not talking about Baltimore. Okay. We t- we exclude Baltimore from this. Right. So, right. It's, so it, that, that only excludes Earl. Well, and Gus Johnson. Okay. But Wes Unseld, Elvin Hayes. Yes. Uh Okay. Uh, this is where it gets interesting because, you know, Gilbert Arenas, you sent you sent me that thing last week. We never talked about it about that list that had the greatest players for each NBA franchise, and they had Gilbert Arenas on there. It was a joke. Yeah. You sent me that. We never talked yeah. about it. Um, there were. Well, I, I posted it on Twitter, and the question was from I think I forget who did it. Uh, I think it was uh, Bleacher Report or somebody like that. And they said, they had, the headline was, it, what would you change about this? What would you change on this list? And I said, I would have you fired. <laughs> which, 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 that's what you wrote? What I wrote. That, that, that's the change I would make. Yeah, there was, because it was a ridiculous list. Well, didn't they also have? Um, there was another horrible one, but or, Arenas is. I mean, that's a joke. I mean, that's I know. that's just not even uh, that's not even fair. Like for me, but but by the way, Arenas might be in the discussion of like the top four. But in in order for me, I know you put West one and Elvin two, and that's fine. I put Elvin one and West two. And then, you know, there's a distance then to three and four if we're ta- talking about a Mount Rushmore. But uh, the candidates for it would be Bobby Dandridge, uh, Phil, yes, Sh- Phil, Sh- Phil Chenier, Gilbert Arenas, uh, John Wall, and Bradley Beal, because I'm not going to count Bernard King, even though he had a couple of years here. You know, I just don't consider Bernard King to have been a bullet. You know, I don't, even though he was briefly, I don't really consider Moses Malone to have been a bullet, you know, or Rod Strickland to have been a bullet. Certainly not Michael Jordan to have been a bullet. And it doesn't matter anyway, because I don't think those guys would be in the conversation anyway. Um, but, 
So he's not even really in the top four or five franchise all time. By the way, it's possible that he could be when he's done. I'm not I'm not dismissing that as a possibility. He's going to sign this deal. He's going to play five more years. Hopefully he plays the majority of games over the next five years, and he's not hurt as much. But, um, you know, th- three years from now, we could be having the discussion of him easily being on the Mount Rushmore of all-time bullets slash wizards. But but Bobby D is number three for me, and then I'll do with me. But but then I'll de- and by the way, Bobby D's you know a lot of his career obviously was in Milwaukee. I understand that, but Bobby D was the missing link to the only championship this franchise has ever won in Washington, and he was a great player on those teams, and he was the go-to clutch player. On those teams. Not only was he among the leading scorers, he was their best defender on those teams. He played, he was a small forward, but played guard so he could guard Gervin. He guarded Dr. J in in some of those series. Uh, Bobby D's number three for me on that list. I think Phil Chenier, even though he was not a significant part of the championship team or the team that got to the championship year because of his back injuries. Phil Chenier was one of the all-time scorers of that era. Um, he was, you know, he was an NBA All-Star three or four times. And really, if he didn't have the back injury, we wouldn't be having this debate. He'd be on the list. You know? Yeah. And and in many ways, Tommy, I think John Wall deserves more consideration for like the fourth spot than Beal does. I agree. I agree. I would put Gilbert ahead of Beal too. I th- I, th- I think I would put Gilbert ahead of Beal as well. But yes. again, Beal, I, mean, I think Beal Beal could but, get there. Yes, he could. He could get there. But the point is, they're investing this tremendous amount of money in a player who really doesn't get them any closer to out of out of. Bullets, Wizards, Limbo, than they've been for the past 40 years. That's the point. Yeah. That's the point. I mean, it's not it's not the path to where they should be uh, looking to get. Uh, and I just think that's a mistake. Now, the other part of the column was that the guy in charge of this event, investment shouldn't make anybody feel warm and fuzzy either, and that's Wes Unsell Jr., who I think has a lot of question marks after his first year here as, as coach of this organization. Uh, and I don't particularly feel good about him moving forward if, if I was a, a fan of this team. I mean, you know, he, he, he seemed to, early in the season, after to have their early season success, lose control of the locker room somehow, resulting in the shipping out of two very popular and talented players, and Spencer Dinwiddie and uh, Montrez uh, Harrell. We're both gone. We're both outspoken early on in, in the, on the chemistry of this organization, and then they were gone. And uh, as far as the, him being this defensive genius of, of a coach, that may be, but it didn't translate to the court. Yeah, I'm going to give Wes Jr. Uh, more time. Um, I wasn't impressed with much this year, but they had a lot of issues this year. They obviously had a lot of injuries. They had a lot of COVID you know, uh, games lost. There was a lot going on this year. It wasn't a good team. Back to, to sort of the most important point, um, and that is 
that Bradley Beal uh, is not a, a best player on a championship contender. I've said this many times. God, it's so funny because in watching um, Boston and Brooklyn last night, and what a great game. I actually want to talk briefly about that in our final segment. Um, but uh, somebody, I remember I got into an argument and I ended up doing calls on this on the air one day on, on the radio show that people thought Bradley Beal was better than Jason Tatum. And I'm like, you guys are on crack. Jason Tatum is going to be one of the best five players in the game, which he might be right now. Um, Bradley Beal is like, you know, he's in that range of 15 to 20. If you want to put him at 15, go ahead. But, you know, when you do that, you're going to you're going to have players like Trey Young and Chris Paul and and others, you know, Donovan Mitchell that are that are behind him. I, I can't do that, really. Um, you can't. It's been proven now. OK, and it's probably going to get proven again this year because Joe, uh, well, somebody um, uh, on uh, one of the best five players in the game, whether it's Curry or I don't know if Devin Booker's healthy. We'll see what happens with Phoenix. But Giannis, uh, Embiid, Tatum, you could put in that category. Jimmy Butler, a, a top five player or a debatable top five player in the game is going to be on a championship winning team again. And that means that the last team that didn't have an obvious top five player in the league at that point on their team, the 2004 Pistons, which, by the way, did have some you know players that are, were future Hall of Famers. Ben Wallace, I think we're yeah. Personally, I think Rasheed Wallace should be in the Hall of Fame. Um, but that's another conversation altogether. Bradley Beal isn't Bradley Beal is a really strong number two on a championship contender, but he's nowhere near good enough to be your number one and and have you be a championship contending team. So they're gonna pay him all this money and for what? Is is the is your point. And it's totally relevant. The problem is, of course, is that if you didn't spend the money on him and you let him go um, and, you know, you burned everything down and you traded it for lots of assets and trade assets, you're then just trying to, you know, hit the lottery. You know, and I'm not saying literally the NBA lottery, but hit the lottery figuratively in terms of ending up with a top five player with a draft choice because you're not getting them through acquisition more likely than not or free agent signing. Now, this team, real quickly, fully healthy next year with Porzingis and Beal and, and Kuzma and KCP and, you know, Hachimura and, you know, maybe a high lottery draft choice, has a chance to be a good team if they're healthy, but not a championship contending team. And so if your goal is yeah. to contend for a championship, you know, if you're right um, and they sign Beal to the $248 million deal, whatever it is, over five years extension, it's not going to move them any closer to that. So, okay. I think I also said that he's not one of the top 20 professional. I just said that, I mean, we, didn't, we couldn't even get him into the top five. I think five. You, said top, you said top 15. In the NBA, I'm talking about top 20 of all-time D.C. athletes. And he's going to be the, the no, highest said paid. Top fifteen. Okay. Of all DC okay. Well, he's not in the top fifteen. We just named four or five wizards bullets that are better. You don't think we can come up with a lot more caps, uh, nats, and and redskins? He's not. Right. And he's a nice player, really good player. I mean, really good scorer, elite scorer, actually. Okay. And let us remember. I mean, be, before. We forget this, that if we're talking about all-time great, say, D.C. athletes, we need to go back before both of us were born 
to the fact that one of the greatest players in the history of the NFL played quarterback for the Redskins, Sammy Baugh, and one of the greatest pitchers in the history of baseball pitched for the Washington Senators, Walter Johnson. Any, any Mount Rushmore starts with those two. Yes, that's true. God, you just reminded me something um, about something I said this morning, but we've already done it, but I'll remind you of it when we come back right after these words from a few of our sponsors. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Has Paul ever been first team all Did Bob NBA? Cousy ever shoot over 40% from the field Well, in his we career? understand that. Did You're he right. overshoot, oh, did no, ever shoot over not. 40%? Probably 39, 40%. Different kind not of Not once. I, it's not fair. once. That's fair. You also had 29 assists in an NBA game. Oh, well, you know, he was being guarded and, and, by plumbers and firemen. Oh, come on. That's that is true. Fair. That that's is true. Doggy. Doggy. Hello. Hello. Point guard ever. There is no doubt, Doggy. He changed the game. Stop it. He not played the way he changed the game. Cousy did. Stop it. Chris Paul is one of the top five point guards. Chris Paul is one of the top five point guards in the history of basketball. I got to think about that for a minute. That seems a little strong for me. What? Yes. That yesterday was Stephen A. Smith, Chris Mad Dog Russo, and J.J. Redick on first take on ESPN. And I talked about this this morning, and Neil in Rockville sent me a text. He said, you have to talk about this with Tommy. And I said, well, we did this a while back, and I'll remind you of it because, of course, you've probably forgotten about it. But for those of you wondering what you were just listening to, it was a conversation about whether or not Chris Paul is an all-time top five point guard in the history of the NBA. Um, and and uh, Mad Dog Russo went off and started talking about Kuzi, and that's when you heard J.J. Reddick come in and say, Kuzi was guarded by plumbers and firemen, <laughs> which was a good line. Um, but I'm going to remind you of something, because part of the conversation that you didn't hear was Russo talking about the 1962 NBA Finals. And I told you this, and we did this, I don't know, two years ago maybe. I came in here one day and I said to you, on NBA TV last night, they were showing the seventh and deciding game as it was broadcast by ABC on in of the 1962 NBA Finals between the Celtics and the Lakers, a game the the Celtics won um, in the seventh and deciding game, and I told you that in a game with Jerry West, Elgin Baylor, Bill Russell, Sam Jones, Casey Jones, Bob Cousy, I told you that DeMatha's varsity would have won the game by 20 points and would have won the series in like five games, to which you went ballistic and we ended up having one of those conversations that we've had before. And in listening to that conversation yesterday, I do think Chris Paul's an all-time great. He's not 
a, a, a top five all-time point guard. Not even in the conversation of top five all-time point guards. But do you remember when I came in here and told you what I had watched and you went nuts? Yeah. Yeah, you watched a fuzzy film of the 62 NBA championship, and you buried great Hall of Fame players in the process. I remember it distinctly. (laughs) You know who I really buried was Jerry West because I swear to you what was so apparent is that Jerry West could not go left. He could not dribble the ball with his left hand, but it really didn't matter because the defenders were like five feet, no, 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 five yards away from the guy they were guarding. It was just, I am a believer that a lot of the guys in the 70s and 80s and 90s would translate. Um, But I also, you know, I think you and I have had this disagreement. I think evolution, especially diet, training, et cetera, these guys are just at a different level athletically and physically than the players in the previous eras. This is always a difficult conversation to have to compare eras because of evolution, et cetera. Like there are players that I think if they had today's you know diet and training would be all-time greats in today's game. But if you put LeBron James back in the 1962 NBA Finals, he he would have scored 100 points and then had to sit the fourth quarter because they would have been up too many. Not against Bill Russell. Yeah, against Bill Russell. Okay, now we can, we can stop having this childish <laughs> conversation right now. And you can go play in your sandbox with J.J. Reddick. Uh, do you think, uh, let me just say, do you think that, that Kuzi would have a chance trying to check Chris Paul? No. I don't. Okay. You're not going to catch me in the Bob, Bob Cruz could Bob, Bob Cousy could play in any era uh, conversation. Okay. But Bill Russell could. I, I'm not going to disagree with you that Bill Russell could play in, in a lot of eras, and I definitely think Wilt certainly could. And, you know, when, when we've had these conversations before, I've always, like, pointed to, like, physical specimens that, you know, if you go back and check height, weight, like Carl Malone, Elvin Hayes, like, if you took those two guys athletically, they would actually measure up in this era. Um, but... Um, Anyway, the the top f- Chris Paul, there is this yearning, Tommy, from basketball people to see Chris Paul finally win a title. I think Chris Paul is an all-time great. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer. He's a great player and I love the way he plays. I'm a fan of the way Chris Paul plays. I really am. But you know, people trying to put him into the top five point guards of all time, I would ask you to go leave this conversation and go jump into your sandbox and play with your toys. <laughs> because Ma- because Magic Johnson, Oscar Robertson, Steph Curry, Isaiah Thomas, and John Stockton are your top five. And then we can talk about Nash, and we can talk about Kidd. And by the way, this will be uh, laughed at by many of you. We can talk about Russell Westbrook. Um, you'll, of course, want to mention Clyde Frazier and Pete Maravich Absolutely. and Nate Archibald. Um, look, what about Allen Iverson? Allen Iverson. Yeah. AI. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, he's a really, by the way, in a few years, Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving, Tommy, may be, other than Steph Curry, 
the most skilled position, skilled uh, guard I think I've ever seen. And I'm not, I, I, there's so much about Kyrie Irving that I can't stand. But the skill level is outrageous. Outrageous. But Chris Paul, you know, I think you can legitimately put him in the top 10 conversation of all-time great point guards. And I'm not rooting against him to get the title at all. But I I don't believe that a lot of longtime NBA fans versus the current NBA fans are, like, yearning for Chris Paul to win a title. Like I think there have been, I think there have been players like Patrick and Bark and Barkley and Malone and Stockton that that deserved one in many ways more than Chris Paul, who's bounced from team to team. And by the way, bounced yes. at his own, you know, uh, at his own urging from from team yes, to team. Yes, I don't think. He, I mean, if if he had played with one or two teams his whole career, maybe that's it. I think there'd be more of an identity of uh, support. For, for him, you know, reaching that goal. You didn't watch any of the NBA playoffs last night, did you? Why would I do that? Okay. So, um, the Celtics-Nets game, and I, I, I think I tweeted this out, I don't think watching an NBA game, even a college game on television in recent years, have I ever heard a, a crowd that loud and that raucous through the television set when the Celtics went on that unbelievable run where they were down seven or eight, nine, whatever it was, and they ended up being up 10 or 11. Um, it was incredible. God, the Boston uh, Garden crowd can be great. Uh, that game and that series through two games has been phenomenal. I'm just going to say this. I, I don't know what's wrong with Durant, but part of it is the the defense from Boston. They have him completely rattled. He had 27 last night because he was 18 of 20 from the free throw line in the game. But he was 4 for 17 from the floor. And in the first two games, one of the greatest players of all time is 13 of 41 from the field. Last night, Kyrie couldn't get it done either. And they lost and they're down 2 nothing. Would not surprise me if Durant goes for like 50 in the next game. But uh, Steve Nash is being absolutely outfoxed at every turn in this series uh, by Boston coach uh, Ime uh, Udoka. Udoka is a an excellent basketball coach. This is a connected, well-coached team defensively and otherwise. And Nash does what a lot of teams do, which you hate, which is just you know spread the floor and have the guys try to make shots with no semblance of, of, of true organization. It's what, it's what the game is. To watch James Harden on the floor last night for Philadelphia, when he's on the floor, it's like four guys stand around and watch. Now, Joel Embiid is, is spectacular. Um, and, it, and the three that he made in overtime last night to beat Toronto was great. Um, but I don't know. I, I think the Boston-Brooklyn uh, series is a series you might actually enjoy. It is really physical and defensive. Uh, by Boston in particular. But you're not going to do that, are you? No. I'm Why? not going to do that. Why? Because there's better stuff to watch. What did you watch last night? Well, I was out. I was at the track last Go night. Right. I watched horses lose my money. Right. What, did, what, what, what will you be watching tonight? Tonight? Uh, I don't know. Actually, tonight I'm going to the, the Touchdown Club dinner. Oh, right. oh, you, oh, you're going. <clears throat> yes. Oh, okay. 
um, we'll have fun. So I'll be back. You see, I don't sit home at night and watch TV well, like some old man. I'm actually, you know what? I get I, out. You know what I'm doing tonight? I'm having. Um, I'm what going out and hanging out with our good friend Mark Stern. Oh, cool! We're going to get. Very uh, cool. We're going to get uh, beers at happy hour, and then we'll see uh, where that takes us. It won't take me anywhere super okay. late because I've got to work uh, tomorrow early in the morning. Um, but. Uh, I will be seeing Mark. You will. You'll be seeing Jake. Please say hello to Jake, and I'll say hello uh, to Stern for you. Okay, sounds good. Sounds good. Are we done for the day? I think we are. Do you know that? I think for the first time in the history of this podcast, we really didn't talk football at all. I'll have a. I'll have a lot of draft talk uh, tomorrow with hopefully somebody you will all want to hear from with some draft analysis. Uh, enjoy your night. I will do the same, and we will be back together, you and I will be, on Tuesday. So long, boss. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.